Lord Lucan Vanishes by Torrin Lucas. Chapter 2 The Princess Louise. An authentic English pub feels like the kind of place one might fall without effort into a timeless obscurity. The Princess Louise, in Holborn, West London, was just that sort of a place. A pub whose unlit corners shadowed the countless working lives that came to forget their troubles. They would come to laugh and lie in the golden mirage of a pint of ale and firelight. The Louise formed an important cog in the 1960 folk scene. But by 1974, folk itself had lost much of its earnestness and replaced by the darkened electronic drone of guitar and clever cynicism that spat at the place England had become. Stepping inside, Elizabeth's nostrils filled with the smell of stale beer. Her eyes felt the mild sting of cigarette smoke. She scanned the pub, recalling how Barry once said in describing the place that this here, meaning the pub, and a particular stool and table next to the stage. This place is one of the good bits of my life. She sighted him sitting nonchalantly in the very seat next to the stage, where unkempt men tended to amplifiers and sound cables and check one, two, three into the microphone. Barry hunched over a glass of amber ale. He grinned from under a peaked hat as she approached. This is proof you do love me, he announced loudly enough for the stage crew to look out from the dimness. Elizabeth sat down hurriedly on the stool opposite his. He was drunk already. You made it, said Barry, still smiling. You remember my office, then. Elizabeth made a show of scanning the pub's oaken and mahogany fixtures, the wooden columns that framed the bar, and a wide beveled mirror set behind the rows of liquor bottles. It was the kind of place she thought she might go for shelter if she were lost and cold in some faraway rural village. Elizabeth waited for Barry to settle back over his beer and, and coaxed herself a sense of invisibility. The murmuring of the disinterested voices reassured her. Passing her fingers through her dark silken hair, she set her eyes on Barry and narrowed them as if in an effort to prevent him from eluding the importance of their circumstance, the danger they were in. And she knew that Barry preferred only a loose grip on reality if he could help it. You look tense, commented Barry, noting the narrowing of her eyes. And you look suspicious. She picked up Barry's pint glass and sniffed it. If I look tense, it's because I am. One of us needs to be. She curled her nose at the smell of dark ale. You don't. You don't because you think you're outlandish. I'm not outlandish. Barry thought for a moment. I'm part of the criminal set now, he decided. And besides, everything is running smoothly, he shrugged. That would account for the easygoing nature which is the way I am, in all fairness. Where is the money, she said. Barry lent his head to the direction of the guitar case which was propped in the chair next to him. It's all in there, he said. Elizabeth's eyes flitted to and fro like someone mixing thoughts into words. She sensed the closeness of the pub around her. She felt Barry's fingers interlock with hers. It's risky to be walking around with it, she said. Everything is risky. Life is risky. Are you staying to watch my show? I'm introducing a new song, said Barry. 
shouldn't be out like this. It's, it makes it too easy for them. It's best to be obvious, out in the open. Skulk around in the shadows, and that's the first place they'll come looking. Well, they've not got far to look. Elizabeth stared at the guitar case and waited for Barry to gulp his beer. Lucan is on to us, she said. He saw everything. But he doesn't know you. What's the harm? Barry was startled. Yes, Barry, he knows. They all know. They're on to us. And these people are not the playful type. Aspinall? Yes. Is that a bruise on your face? They came to my house. She turned the thought of her small London flat in her mind. Her clothes would still be draped over the chairs. Her black croupier evening wear. The mirror light at her makeup table turned off. I can't go back there now. They turned the place upside down looking for the money. I was afraid. And then Aspinall came striding in like he does. Like a peacock, said Barry. He came swanning in to the rescue, full of apologies about the wolves he'd sent in, and sorry for all the fuss. It was just a matter of the money, he said. Who hit you? Barry turned his face to look concerned and protective. He did. Aspinall. When I told him he was a crook, and I wouldn't be part of ruining lives. Barry reached with his hand to caress her face. Elizabeth resisted an instinct to turn away and allowed his hand, moistened from the beer glass, to touch her cheek. She felt the wound still present as a dull ache. Why do you resist me? Barry asked. You know that I've tried. I've always tried. I know, she said, shuddering thoughts of hope, returning her mind to the matters of fact and resisting her instinct. I know you've always tried to be loving. I've wanted that for you. Barry's face darkened, as if he'd discovered her opening a door that he'd locked. He pressed his thumb into her cheek, into the middle of the bruise. Did you sleep with him? I was alone, she said. He offered to help. That's what I needed. Elizabeth kept her face still as Barry's thumb receded. Of course you did, he said. Does he know about me? Yes. Good. Barry looked around the pub, accounting for the disinterest of those drinking a world that didn't include him or any of this, just shadows. He knows I've lost you then. After Aspinall hit me, he went back to being the thoughtful aristocrat. It was, it was so strange. And there I was in his limousine, off to fetch Lucan. I told him he had nothing to do with it, any of it, but he was determined that we find him and, and that I be there. They got to him outside his house. The driver got out of the car and waited for him in the darkness. We all waited. And then he attacked him. Well, he deserved it. He doesn't, Barry. He's as broken as they come. We all suffer. I suffer, said Barry, gesturing a finger in the direction of his heart. This was all you're doing. I looked just like him, you said. Remember that? I could look... I could look like a somebody, and you'd help me be a somebody. Barry laughed and rubbed his nose with the back of his hand, and as if to make a further point, threw back the remainder of his beer. Now look at me. You're the fool. It was the money, Barry, she replied. 
Don't be so dramatic. I can see why you slept with him. He's too far gone to defend himself. He's lost his money, his family. He's lost it all, but that's, that's why you love him. You love the broken ones. You love them because they can never love you back. Yes, he's worthy of some pity. It's his children that he fears for most. And he says his wife has gone, gone mad. Barry had folded his arms as though someone had inconvenienced him by their presence. He's the mad one, he said. Too much money has got to him. Yes, well, I've agreed to be his nanny. Barry stalked his eyes across the pub. So he really does have us in a bind. You're playing him, right? Did you agree? He says he wants me to be his nanny, for his, for his children, to keep an eye on his wife. He's worried. He thinks she might be mentally unstable, or maybe it's to collect evidence against her. He's got it all in a muddle. Barry craned across the table, forcing her to sit further in her seat, and said with a voice of contempt, And you agreed? Elizabeth composed herself. You know, Barry, I didn't leave everything in India. You did. It was you. You and your map, your motorcycle, and your drinking. Yes, I agreed. Why would you agree to something like that, Barry said. You know nothing about children. Barry's crooked smile softened. He could see the effect of his cruelty. Elizabeth cast the fringe of her hair from her eye. Although her face was blank, you could see in her eyes the darkness of a charred wood, a place he dared not enter or ever understand. You can see the risk, he said tactfully. Be careful. His tone suggested he was wise now and judicious. Not a folk singer at all, not the drunkard that people assumed him to be. Yes, there is a risk, she said, but I'll keep him close to me. I think he'll protect me, and I'll keep you clear of it as best I can. Besides, I've let him in on Aspinall, the scam he's been pulling at the casino. I don't think he'll give us up now. Aspinall, well, he's ruined him. I'm sure all his crooked dealings have cost Lucan. He's destroyed, and that's what makes us safe. And what if he figures I've impersonated him? Walked up to the counter and said, Hello, love. I'm Lord Lucan. Give us your money. He knows already, she said, taking a cigarette from the packet and lighting it. You can deny it, she said, exhaling, but there's no point. By the way, he asked about the map. Elizabeth again took a scan of the pub as a group of students from the evening's theater rehearsal tumbled through the front door, obviously drunk, followed by a man wearing a pink woolen hat and black leather coat. The sound of electric guitar tuning up the murmuring shadows of the pub, the crack of a snare drum, more check one, two, three into the mic. <coughs> he said something about the Indians being after it, Elizabeth continued, once the ambience of the pub quieted. The Panchantara, really? That's really something, Barry reflected on the thought. I have had a feeling that map was actually worth something. Can you steal it back? Elizabeth was prepared for this question. No, she replied emphatically. It has a darkness, don't you find? I don't even like to touch it. It gives me a sort of sensation, like a vibration, like a bell. 
Yes, a big ringing bell from a very dark church. I thought that's what I did for you, said Barry, lighting a cigarette of his own. I think I still feel it inside my head, she said, in my body. It's still ringing. Anyway, you said it gave you dreams. Why would you want it back? It did give me dreams, recalled Barry, smiling. Dreams of the jungle, wild animals, colorful birds, that sort of thing. They were dreams that made you feel naked. Barry's ruminations were quickly vanquished by a quickening sense of danger at his throat. He lowered his eyes quickly to conceal the recognition that had cast across his face on seeing the Indian taxi driver by the door. He was sitting there alone by the table adjacent to the exit. He wore the same woolen hat and black leather jacket as the night he had picked him up from the casino. Barry shifted in his seat to position Elizabeth between him and the driver. A table of museum curators interrupted their murmurings to laugh at the joke they had all shared about the idea that folk music could be dug up like an artifact. One of them glanced over to Barry. Do you think you might get the map? Barry asked with sincerity. Because I think I know whom I want it. Badly. Well, I can't steal it anyway, Barry. We need Lucan. He has connections to get you far from here. I think if we return him the money, he'll help us. No, bloody hell no. It's our money. He has his own, and lots of it. We need it. You and me. If we're going anywhere, it's together. This silenced them to share the same dead end for a moment. That guy over there, Barry tilted his chin in the direction of the driver. No, no, don't look now. He's, he's the cabbie who picked me up from the casino. He's sitting there by the door. The bugger is as obvious as noonday sun. Who is he? Who is he working for? Elizabeth stole a glance over her shoulder in the direction of the door. A newspaper concealed the identity of Barry's taxi driver. Does he know about the money? No, the map. We got talking about the map in the taxi. He collected me from the casino. I don't know how it came up. He knew all about the pension tantra. He knew there was a map to it. That's impossible, says Elizabeth. The map, or whatever it is, is, is just superstition. It's nonsense. It's not a secret that there was a map to the pension tantra. Yes, but how many people would know it's been found? Except Birkenhead? And he's dead. Elizabeth sat up straight in her seat, as though taking a weight off her shoulders. If it's about the map, she said, then let's go and set him straight. This has gone too far. Elizabeth swiveled in her chair and marched toward the driver, concealed behind his newspaper. Barry collected his guitar case and followed. As she approached, the driver's eyes peeked over the top of the newspaper and widened. The newspaper was quickly crumpled closed, and the driver disappeared through the opening of the door. Elizabeth raised her arm and with a yell called after the disappearing driver, Hey! You've been following us. Elizabeth quickened her pace to a run as the students, museum curators, and figures in the shadows all looked over in subdued curiosity toward the high-heeled, dark-haired woman and the disheveled folk guitarist stream out the door. Once outside, Barry and Elizabeth caught sight of the driver, turn and disappear down an alley. Barry took a quick, sharp inhalation of the cold night air and felt the spark of adrenaline quicken. Once around the alley corner, he saw no sign of his quarry. He slowed his pace from a run to a walk to a stop. 
Panting, he placed his two hands on his knees. Barry turned back to the street and saw Elizabeth waiting there, pensive and beautiful. He considered then whether it was ale or beer that sportsmen drank after exercise. He considered the tightness of his fingers around the guitar case handle. He visualized the tightly bound bills packed within the compartment and glanced down to verify the latches on the case. As he returned his gaze to Elizabeth, a car screeched to a stop behind her. A car door opened, two arms pulled her backwards, off her feet and into the waiting car. Hey, he heard himself yell, and Barry was on the run again. A heavy-set Indian closed the car door and turned to await Barry's slowing approach. A broad smile crossed the Indian's face. Barry stopped, but was beckoned forward. Come here, called the heavy-set Indian, and motioned with a black-gloved hand. He continued to grin as Barry stood there motionless. Barry found he was unable to run, unable to move forward. His hand gripped the guitar case. He searched the car window for a glimpse of Elizabeth. The Indian's head was bobbing on his shoulders, absurdly welcoming and jovial. Missing front teeth completed an almost comical appearance. Come, he called, in a voice that suggested he could kill Barry, but he wouldn't because it would be too much effort. We have the girl. There's no harm. Come. Barry placed a foot in front, first the one foot and then the other, 